In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I am envious of people who work with their hands. And I can tell in this congregation who those people are by shaking the hands of men. Men who work with their hands have very calloused hands, practiced hands, you might say. You know by shaking them that they work with things and they do things. I wish I was like that because my hands are like a velvet glove. You can tell that I am a preacher because much of a preacher's work is not with hands, but with head and with heart. I preach Christ and him crucified. I wish I could do things with my hands, but I tend to be ten thumbs. That's why I look for people who are very good with their hands. What I do instead, and what all preachers do, especially preachers like John the Baptist, is to point you away from you and to Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, being a preacher of righteousness, he seems to break this mold because he seems to make everything about him. Consider how he was. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Everything about John the Baptist seems to scream out, Look at me. He hung out in the wilderness near the Jordan River. His proclamation was brisk and yet direct, especially when many of the Pharisees and Sadducees made the trip to hear him. John's preaching ultimately put him in prison. There is a cost for pointing people away from themselves and to Christ. The words of St. Peter and the apostles to the religious authorities in Acts chapter 5 remain true today. We must obey God rather than men. Whether it is religious authorities, like it was in the case of Acts chapter 5, The religious authorities who told the apostles under no circumstances are you to speak at all about a resurrection of this Jesus of Nazareth. Whether it is secular authorities or perhaps even you, all of these do not wish to hear John's preaching, let alone Peter's preaching, Jesus's preaching, Vicar's preaching, or my preaching. It's enough to make any preacher downhearted, even John the Baptist and some of his followers. Now, we can have a refreshing beverage and talk about whether or not it was John or his followers who were the ones who were having a season of doubt. There are many commentators who believe it was John the Baptist himself who wondered whether or not this Jesus whom he had prepared the way for was actually the one who is to come. Luther, on the other hand, says, oh no, John was sure and certain it's the followers who had the issue. And so it was John who said, why listen to the gossip? Go ask the man himself. No matter who it was, there is a question involved. And the question is, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Maybe John and his followers are thinking that they are not on the right track. 
Maybe they're wondering whether or not the preaching of repentance to the forgiveness of sins that leads to baptism is the right thing to do. Maybe they're thinking that John's appearance was a distraction from Jesus. Maybe they were thinking the things that Jesus says and does are these messianic things. Or is this whole thing yet another brick in the wall? Yet another milepost as God's people wait for the coming of their Savior. Preachers of today often ask our Father in heaven these same questions and many more. Preachers stand in a pulpit, open their mouths, and out comes the free and full righteousness of God in Jesus Christ that saves his creation from Satan and from everlasting death. Like I said, much of a preacher's work is done with his head and with his heart. I've often wanted to do a YouTube video called A Week in the Life of a Pastor as He Writes a Sermon. Monday morning, you would see me come strolling into the study, of course, after I've, I've prayed. And I would pick up the resources that I use, the original language of the New Testament, the Greek New Testament. I would open up my file folder. I have a file folder for every Sunday of the church year and most of the festivals. And I would start looking at the notes, the voluminous notes that I've taken over 21 years of being a pastor. And then you would see a lot of video of me staring out the window or staring at a computer screen or just staring into midair. You would see me driving in a car, going to visit shut-ins. Same thing. Got the radio on in the car and I'm driving and I'm thinking. Or is it I'm thinking and I'm driving? It better be the first way for your safety. And ultimately, come Thursday morning, I have to sit down and write the thing. Because I'm not going to let it hang overly over me like the sword of Damocles. Friday is my family day. And I want to go into the day with a clean conscience. So I don't have to come back over here on Saturday morning after men's Bible study and figure out what in the Sam Hill I'm going to say to you on Sunday and Monday. And so it's a week-long wrestling with the Holy Spirit. It would look rather boring in a YouTube video. But this is the result. Right here. Right in front of me. And what is the response of most hearers to most sermons of preachers? (sighs) Sometimes it's even dead silence. Or it can be more questions. I've received maybe one of these through the years. When are you going to preach about what's going on in Washington, Madison, Jerusalem, or Kiev? Why can't you sound like the people on TV? Why can't you sound more angry when you're in the pulpit? Sound like the politicians and legislators and judges and celebrities on television. You're so joyful in the pulpit, Pastor. We haven't heard a good fist-banging sermon in years, and we're probably overdue for one around here, especially if you're preaching about their sins. 
Because if you preach about my sins, you are going to get under my skin. In fact, your sermon last week, Pastor? Oh, yeah. How come you know so much about my sins? Probably because (laughs) your sins and my sins are very much the same. It is enough to make preachers despair when it seems like all of this hard work is all for naught. So Jesus has an answer to these questions and to the one asked by the two men who come from John. Go and tell John what you hear and see. What did they hear and see? The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Is that what you hear and see when Jesus speaks to you in his word? Do these signs and wonders offend you? Well, you're not alone. Preachers, too, are tempted to preach something other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is why pulpits often have a little plaque that usually sits about right here in the pulpit. Only the preacher gets to see it unless you sneak up here and look at it. There's not one here yet, but there's going to be one here someday. And it says John 12 verse 21, not the actual number. But the verse, sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's a good thing to see every time a preacher stands in a pulpit to remind the preacher who the subject is. The other thing a preacher does besides pointing people away from themselves or anything that gets in the way of Jesus is also to warn against offense. Jesus says to John, to his disciples, to you and to me tonight, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And the good news of Jesus, make no mistake, beloved, it's offensive. The good news means that Jesus does everything for your eternal welfare. That's the offensive part of it. Because the old Adam does not like the fact that Jesus does all of the lifting. The old Adam wants to deal in fractions. Jesus does most, I do some. Jesus does almost all, but he leaves a little bit up to me. Jesus doesn't want my help, but I'm going to offer it anyway because it's the polite Midwestern thing to do. Jesus does not operate a COD organization where he comes to you and delivers his forgiveness, life, and salvation and then stands there and holds his hand out and says, now where's my payment due? Or worse yet, where's my tip? He is not in the bait-and-switch game either. He does not bait you with freedom from bondage to sin and death and then put you right back under that slavery again by telling you, now you better make sure that salvation I gave you sticks. He sets you free to be his child. He turns your wailing 
into dancing. Let's look again at what Jesus does. Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. Bartimaeus was blind. Then Jesus met him and he sees. The man at the pool of Bethesda, 37 years, he waited for the opportunity to go into that pool because the angel stirred the water up. And every time the angel stirred the water up, the first one in got healed. He could never get enough guys to help him in. And then Jesus met him and he didn't need to go in the pool. He took up his bed and he walked. Ten men lepers are cleansed, one of whom is a Samaritan, not of God's kingdom. And he was the guy who came back to praise and thank Jesus for his healing. The deaf, mute man hears and speaks as if he never lost his hearing and speech thanks to a spit, a touch of his tongue, and a word with lots of diphthongs, Ephatha. Stinky Lazarus walks out of the four-day prison of the tomb, alive and well and smelling fresh. Okay, pastor, that's all in the Bible. So tell me who are the poor who have the gospel preached to them? Was it the people in the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. Was it all the people who heard the preaching of Peter and Paul and the other apostles in the book of Acts? Yeah. Look around you. And then look at the two of us in this chancel. And then look at yourself. You're looking for the poor? You found them. Jesus visits the poor in spirit every time these church doors are open. Jesus uses a miserable wretch like me to tell you not to be offended at everything he does, not only in the scriptures, but also what he does for you in sermon, in song, in his supper. If that isn't enough, consider our Heavenly Father's providential care for you. This is the season not only when we're buying gifts for other people, but we're also counting our blessings. And maybe it's more appropriate for you to count your blessings rather than buy gifts. To sit down and to think of all of the things that our Heavenly Father has dropped into your lap. Family. Friends. Many acquaintances, employment, a place to live, a place where Jesus meets you in word and sacrament, too. So many things and more, and the ability. And the blessing of being able to ask. And you will receive. Then there is the work of the Holy Spirit. Who calls you with his gospel. Enlightens you and makes you holy with his gifts. And setting you among the fellow redeemed. 
in the Ark of Salvation, applying the atonement of Jesus personally to you. Not in a way of giving you a quiz. Not in a way like the Matrix where they plug something into the back of your head and then you can go, I understand all the atonement theories. In the way of hearing, eating, drinking, speaking. John has a message, and his voice must be heard this time of the year. The message is prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Have everything that gets in the way of Jesus pushed out of the way. Because we do build a wall against our Savior. Especially this time of the year. When we let the influence of affluence get in the way of the Christ child. John says, smash it all. Knock it down. For the king of kings wants to stroll in and find you, where you are, how you are, who you are, no matter where you are. And pitch his tent among you. Jesus' message is your sins are forgiven. That's why John makes a big deal out of running the bush hog. Forgiveness is a big thing. It's the thing in the church. Some people think it's... No. It's forgiveness. That's why it's so offensive. You expect one thing and you get another. And it's the unexpected left-hand backdoor thing. And that's how Jesus works. And yeah, I don't get it either. But I get to proclaim it. You don't so much teach it as catch it. Blessed are you, beloved, who take no offense at what John and Jesus say. For in these words, there is life and salvation for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.